Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Happy post-inauguration Monday to all of our listeners out there. What a great day. Um, happy Biden administration. Uh, we are currently recording on the 19th, so we are still, we are less than 24 hours away from it happening in our lives, but by the time it's released, the world will be anew. I was talking to somebody today, and they said something like, well, I'm with the current administration speaking about Trump. And I'm like, you have less than 24 hours to say that. But man, I mean, we knew he was going to go kicking and screaming. I didn't realize what damage he would attempt to do in the last few weeks. It's been astronomical. It really has. Isn't there, um, not to get too far into the weeds, but I heard something about 100 pardons. Yeah, I mean, the pardons are off the chart. We've got HHS putting down new regulations that allow um, adoption agencies to stop um, gay couples from adopting. We have the 1776 sessions, and they released a report on MLK Day, fuck them, saying that um, basically slavery wasn't that bad. It wasn't a big deal. Oh, not to mention there's some executions that have been happening. Yes, I think we're done with those. I think he got all the ones in that he could. So, yay? I know. It's crazy. Well, I think it's so fascinating anyways. I mean, regardless of who the president is that's leaving, um, just this kind of mad rush at the end, you know, Mm. and... You know, sometimes we're in agreement with that and sometimes we're not with what they're trying to push through. But this has been um, above and beyond. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. And obviously, Biden can't fix it all the day that he's inaugurated. But it's like the, the opening in the clouds, like where you can start yes. see seeing things get better. And I'm just I'm filled with anxiety and excitement in pretty equal doses right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, here's to tomorrow and the last day of my advent calendar. (laughs) Your boozy (laughs) advent calendar. (laughs) My boozy advent calendar. I have um, tasted some really interesting liqueurs (laughs) that come in small (laughs) bottles. (laughs) Some of them a lot better than others. There was a cinnamon tequila. Oh, how fun. There was key lime vodka. That one was pretty good. Um, root beer flavored Ooh, liqueur. That could be good, yeah. but it could also be really bad. Yeah. Well, exactly. You got to have the right mixer for it, and we didn't always have that. Ah, yes. But um, we are not fully up to date, but we're a little bit behind. But we're going to finish strong tomorrow. Just just save them all for a big end. <laughs> well, tomorrow's the champagne. So. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how was your weekend, MLK weekend? Did you do anything or tap into anything on MLK Day? Uh, well, we had the most adventurous of weekends. We went up to Wyoming to Menards. Oh, Are you- my dad... My dad used to work at Menards. No way. Yeah, in Ohio. <laughs> that's so that's not what I was expecting to come out of your mouth. No. All right. We go every few years. Um for those of you Is it a dest is it a destination store? It is. It is. Uh people from all over Colorado go up to Cheyenne just for Menards. Get out, really? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I, you know, I took it for granted that it's in my hometown this whole time. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Menards is like a discount hardware plus everything store. Like you can get a wrench set and uh, potato flakes at the same time. 
just in case. Would it would it be like if Home Depot and IKEA had a baby? Home Depot, IKEA, and Aldi. Oh, <laughs> a thruple. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they, they do have good deals. Things are cheap. But they also often have some unique items, which is what we were going for. We wanted some specific cabinetry. Uh, so we drove up to Cheyenne, got the things, drove all the way home, and my husband hates them. So we get to go again next weekend. So fun! <gasps> Well, now that means I get to do a little bit of shopping on their website and see if there's anything I need you to pick up for me. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've only done that where I have driven long distances for a store with IKEA. I, I would put them in the same realm for sure. Yeah. 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 And I mean, Cheyenne's only an hour and a half. It's not like it's a big deal in a pandemic when you yeah. have nothing else to do. Well, I was going to say, when's the last time you took a trip out of Boulder County? This is the first time I have left the state since February of 2020. And the government knows. The government no, knows. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I registered at the border. <laughs> well, good for you. Well, I hope that they have what you're really looking for next time. We will see. And you are coming to us from your home studio again. I am. I would like to take a moment to apologize to our listeners. I have been told by my um, very gracious co-host that maybe the audio from the last two episodes where I was um, speaking into a box in a camper holding my microphone may have not have been the most optimal. No, no. So... Thank you for staying with me, and um, at least now I know it's possible, but I've learned a lot of lessons. For sure. For sure. If I was going to do that full-time, a lot of preparations I would have made in advance. Um, but yes, we are home, and um, glad to be home. Just trying to get into the groove of things. Back glad to be in, in my home groove. studio. Love it. Yes. So we are in part three now part of our five-part series. Three of five. Just rolling along. So we did, just to recap, we're doing a series on the donor cycle. We started with identification, then we moved to cultivation, and now we are at... Solicitation. All right. The big ask. This is, um, I would say, probably of the five phases of the donor cycle, the one that people are scared of the most. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, I talked to a client last week, and um, she was going into uh, a meeting where she was going to have to make an ask, and literally threw up in advance. Mm. She was so nervous. Oh. And I imagine, you know, one thing that w we should talk about and probably come up is, you know, most of the times these asks are happening in person and you can see body language and I don't agree. Or maybe not my Okay. I don't mind having either. Well, I think this is all about which type of fundraising you're doing, what sources you're going to. So if you're talking major donor fundraising, yeah, those are the in-person asks. Those are the ones that make people want to puke most often. But I would, I would venture to guess the majority of solicitation is either being done via mail email or at a big event where somebody on the stage is actually making the ask truth truth um i was remiss in just thinking solely about one-on-one -on -one asks and but your friend who threw up was he or she doing it in person zoom. or over a zoom yeah. so that was going to be my point yeah. is that having these conversations now on zoom yes at least you can see each other but it's still not the same as being in person. Yeah, you're not picking up on those nonverbal cues. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so let's get back to that. Solicitation, again, is not just verbally asking somebody for money. It comes in a lot of different forms. Um, and that can be as passive as um, a piece of mail, an email, shoot a text even nowadays yeah oh yeah i've got text solicitations for sure 
application, you know, that gets submitted online. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so let's break those down first. What other kinds of solicitations can you think of? So we talked about the ones at the events. And even then, even within an event itself, you have your degrees of solicitation, right? So you have everything from, you know, you got to buy a ticket to come to um, somebody standing on stage and saying, get out your pledge cards or raise your paddle. That's very overt. Mm -hmm. um, to stuff like auctions, silent auctions, um, or even just having envelopes. So a lot of times, you know, like pledge envelopes, donor envelopes around and accessible to people, but not actually saying, hey, here's an envelope, pick it up, put money in it. Mm -hmm. I went to one of those events um, a number of years running. And it was, it was always so hard because it was this joint event where they're giving out awards. So they had like program participants who were being celebrated, but then also like business partners, sponsors. So really a, a pretty mixed audience, but definitely people there who could give. And they did the tacit, like, thanks, everybody, for coming. Hey, if you want to donate, there's an envelope there. Have a good one. Yikes. Yikes. And every yikes. year they'd be like, why aren't we raising more money? It's like, oh, because you're not actually asking people for it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's what we call leaving money on the table. Quite literally. <laughs> Have you ever uh, put on or been involved in a Bedavon style event? I have. Yes. Yes, I have. Benevon, I think, is great because it really does follow the donor cycle, right? You've got the um, the cultivation, which is like those mission tours that they say mm -hmm. you have in advance. Then you have the ask event, clearly the solicitation. Then there's all that follow-up, ongoing acknowledgement and stewardship. So, I mean, they, they probably fit this the best. Um, but the problem is... For those of you who aren't familiar with Benevon, it is a very specific model of fundraising. You spend thousands of dollars to go get trained in it and say that you are a Benevon expert. I am not, to be clear. I am not. I have the books. That's about I it. I was hired to follow it. Yes. But I just sort of grandmothered in. <laughs> and as it raised to popularity, so many other organizations, I think, tried to cobble a Benevon style together but missed some of the key elements like cultivation. And mm -hmm. then would be frustrated when it wouldn't raise as much as Benevon does. And I just think of so many times when that happened. So it, it usually um, is based on like some sort of um, table host model. So, you know, mm -hmm. you get a table, you invite a bunch of your friends. In Benevon, they would have already been involved in the organization. They would have come in for a tour. They would have been part of a call. They would have had exposure to the organization. Then the event is really just like a mass solicitation. You're just getting everybody yeah. in the room and asking them all at once instead of one-offs. Um, but even then, I've had it where, like, it gets to that point in the program, the person's on stage, you know, giving that plea, now's the time to give money, and the table host would still be, like, nervous about handing out the cards. Like, we're not, you're not even asking for money. You're literally just handing them a card to fill out. <laughs> yeah. You're basically, like, the room monitor of the third grade. Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, that model is really efficient. I mean, the solicitation event is like no more than an hour. You have a video. It can be no more than three minutes. I don't know. I'm making it's up. This, it's super structured. Like yeah. Yeah, it's very structured. You, you know, make them cry one time, then talk about this. Um, but it works. I mean, when I did it, it definitely worked. Um, and you could raise a lot of money in a really short amount of time. Uh, that is that model when I did it is really based on pledges. Mm -hmm. So gifts. that's, yep. yeah, multi-year gifts. So maybe that's a conversation for another day, but um, you theoretically raise a lot of money, but you don't have that money in hand necessarily. So then you have all the hassle of the follow-up yes. and follow-through. And the write-offs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. As much uh, of a uh, non-fan as I am of events on this podcast, I love giving the ask at an event. It's like one of my true so joys. You're so fucking good at it. You're so good at it. You're a natural. She's, trust me, she's so good at it. I wouldn't it go works. that far, but I really do enjoy it. 
you're really good at it. <laughs> and I think you have to really enjoy it to be good at it. Because if you come across um, nervous or not as confident, then I think, you know, the ask at an event like that is so critical. And it's definitely playing on the energy in the room and that person giving it. Have you ever been there? I was wasn't a, so good. I was about to say, I've got a couple stories of uh, when, give it. when I have picked the wrong person to do the ask even. So yeah. uh, for all of you who are staff, the best asks are always from donors themselves. Um, it could be a board member. It could just be another donor. But somebody who says, I believe in this cause. I give myself. I want you to join me. We know we've got lots of research. That works better. So I would always try to find that person when I was the executive director. Um, so one year, this guy, he was, he was so great. He was a big fan of mine, which is probably what like clouded my judgment about like what makes a good asker. <laughs> and uh, we practiced in advance. He, he was a real money guy. And I said, yeah, there, there's definitely some aspects where you can tie in like this is the cost of our services versus what the cost to society would be right? Like give that financial argument, but like, let's make that brief. That doesn't speak to a lot of people in the room. Yep. Instead, and I'm going to blame this on the fact that he had like gout or something going on medically at the time. <laughs> okay. He hobbles up there and I mean, he just spouts numbers for what felt like three hours. I'm sure it was actually oh, like gosh. three minutes. Oh God. And his mic kept going out. And so then people start talking which is the worst. I mean, he has fully lost the room at the, that point. And now the table hosts don't even know to like give out the pledge cards. It was absolute chaos and so stressful. The other one, though, that I was thinking of, I found I, I probably overcompensated. I was like, OK, I just need somebody who's passionate, who's going to get people excited up there. And so I found this woman <laughs> from our board who I thought would be great. Well, the... Um, she came, of course, right after that, like, big heartthrob moment, the, the moment that gets everybody yep. crying. Well, she was crying pretty extensively. <laughs> like sobbing. She gets up there. And, of course, again, we have rehearsed her speech. She gets up there, and she's crying, and she's like, I'm not even going to read this, and literally throws the cards across. No! <laughs> and just starts talking about why it's so important and gets off the stage before making the ask. No. And so then. Like never actually says the word. Never. So I'm asking you to give today. Never, never, never. And like the sound tech starts to play like the exit music. And I shoot up. I run to the stage myself and then make the ask before everybody leaves. Oh, my gosh. That's hysterical. Well, you so funny because you and I chatted very briefly before we started this episode and um, you had said, oh, I have a thousand stories. And I'm like, well, I hope I remember some as you talk. And it's like all of these memories start <laughs> flooding back, right? And I, I come back to when I was a little baby fundraiser and I had my first event, my first big, mm -hmm. it was a Benavon model event. Um, not to mention, I was ginormously pregnant. So I think I might have said this on the podcast before when we talked about events. But the event was happening the day before my due date. And so I basically had to plan the whole event as if I wasn't going to be there because mm -hmm. I didn't know. I'd never had a kid. Um, I was there, swollen to all get out. <laughs> like I spent half the time people being like, are you gonna are you gonna go into labor like right now? And I'm like, oh my gosh, stop talking to me. And anyways, we used to have our past program, like former program participants come back and do the ask. Mm -hmm. We could talk more about that at a different different time. And the program participant that was supposed to do the ask, like broke probation and ended up being on house arrest. <laughs> the day of oh no <laughs> oh no yes that's like all flooding back now <laughs> me being ginormously pregnant being like 600 people in this ballroom being like who the fuck's gonna do the ask and so i just ended up having to get someone who was 
a staff member. They were a former program participant who had then become staff. And I was like, hey, can you do it? Because at least you have the perspective of having been through the program. Uh-huh. Um, and you got to be at the event anyways because mm-hmm. you're staff and you're working it. So I, I mean, it was like very last minute working with her on her speech. Holy cow. Oh my gosh, that totally just reminded me too. So I was at a like partner organizations fundraiser very closely aligned kind of work and um, I'm talking to the executive director like oh my gosh what a beautiful event how you doing seems like it's going well she was like yeah except my volunteer who was supposed to tell the story and ask people for money is out sick and I was like oh my god what are you gonna do she was like well the auctioneer said he'll just do it and I was like no 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 uh-uh no no and she was like, well, do you want to? And I was like, give me the mic. Just just give me the fucking mic. <laughs> Where's the mic? Watch watch and learn. And so I went up, I mean, at least so that there was some, like, mission tie-in. Like, I could talk about how our, um, like, I told a story about one of our kids that had been through their program and um, you know, then could, like, ask for money. But it was... right. It was so funny that she was just like, oh, the auctioneer is going to. Like, no, never have the auctioneer be the one to actually make, like, that passionate plea for your organization. They will never do it justice. Right. No. Okay, so that's events. Right. Which, Mass asks. Mass asks. (laughs) It's really hard hard to say. say. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, Then, so let's talk about the different... Uh, so we talked about the, the different forms of asking, you know, passive over, mail, yada, yada. But then there's to different audiences, mm-hmm. right? So you have your gala attendees that you're asking. You have your individual donor you're asking. But then even just like you said, an application is is an ask and that's, you know, grants. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we we have different solicitation for funders. Solicitation of corporate partners. Mm-hmm. You got any good stories about that? Well, I promised this one uh, a couple episodes ago when I was telling the story of um, the corporate mailing I did. Mm. And this, I wish this was further in my past than it is. Um, <laughs> because. No judgment. No judgment. No, here. this deserves judgment. Like this was a real misstep. Um, and now I look back and think, oh my God, what? What did I do? Um, you know, when we when we talk about fundraising messaging, I feel like we spend a lot of time, especially today, talking from a strengths-based perspective, really asset framing, especially, you know, the, the strengths of our clients, the amazing resilience they have. And, you know, our organization is just kind of this one little nugget that helps them maintain their journeys. Um, yep. At this time in my life and career, I was not there. Yep. So this mailing. We're always evolving. Always right? evolving. Yeah. Always learning. We In a couple of years, we might listen to this and be like, what were we thinking? Probably. We know so much more now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm sending this thing out to a bunch of companies who don't know anything about us, right? It was a cold mailing. I want a real punch. I want something that is going to make them really pay attention. So I was working uh, within the child welfare system. I got trash bags and placed a label on them that said something along the lines of, to you and me, this bag is for trash, but to kids in our program, this bag can contain their entire lives. And went on to explain like how often kids um, are removed from their homes. They literally are carrying all their belongings in a trash bag. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, although true, it wasn't the story I should have been telling. Sure. Um, and... <laughs> mind you, that also increased the cost of the mailing. Because now I had trash bags <laughs> and labels and extra size envelopes. And if you'll remember, that mailing elicited me $0. So yeah, lots of fails right there. It's creative. It's creative. And even when you just said it, it pulled at my heart. Mm-hmm. So you understand why um, that could be a um an attractive avenue to take when trying to raise money but yes well and i think actually that's like one of the big messages to fundraisers is how we need to just be so thoughtful in how we 
how we position this stuff. Because yeah, sometimes the thing that really pulls at hearts, the things that we know will make people cry aren't actually the stories we should be telling. Exactly. And, and the, the call to us is to really, um, to do the hard work of figuring out how to frame it in a way that, that uplifts the people we're talking about that, you know, our client would pick up a mailer and be like, yep, that's me. I, I proudly identify with that instead of a trash bag, which was a trash appeal. Oh, so no businesses, not one person reached out from that. I think we got a gift card. <laughs> yeah, probably a one-time $25, $25 gift card. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask us again for another year. My staff got like half off lunch one day and that was it. <laughs> so what, am I missing anything else? We have corporate partners, grants, individual donors, big events, mass asks. Well, I think that pretty well captures it. So the the ones that are real uh, getting your palms sweaty are, I feel like, are the one-on-one of major course. donor asks. Of course. It's the most personal, right? It's just you, maybe a board member and a donor, asking them to say yes to your organization. Right. And I think that that is... A key point right there to remember is that you're asking them to say yes to the organization, but you feel like you're asking them to say yes to you. Right. So maintaining our dating analogies, this is like the proposal, but we often forget we're not actually proposing on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of our programs and mission. Exactly. And what I try to say, kind of, so maybe... This is fun. What are some of the things that you say to yourself to like pump you up? Because I know what I do is I say, they're going to give somewhere. Like their money, their budget line item for community giving is going to go somewhere. So I'm not really asking them necessarily for new money. I mean, sometimes you are, but I'm just asking them to pick us. Mm. Right? Oh, I like that. Do you like that? That's a nice framing. Yeah. Thanks. It works. I was not as uh, strategic as you. Um, I just have a pump up playlist. (laughs) No way. You're like in your car jamming. I'm like Dwight Schrute. I've got my, (laughs) no, I don't listen to metal, but I totally have like my pump up playlist going into those meetings. (laughs) That's amazing. Have you ever had one that did not um, go the way you wanted? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Um, I think the most frequent thing that I've had happen is the delay, right? Like, we like what you're saying. Maybe we're just not right, ready to commit right now. Or, yeah, you know, we've got something tied up. After after we sell our 10th home, then we'll give to you. I, not that. Not quite playing in those leagues. But you know what I mean. You know, like, it, it's more of a timing issue. And so that also helps like contextualize the no for me it's not it's not no of me it's also not no of my organization it's just no not right now right i was gonna say and it's also not no forever right it's just not no it's just no right now and um the timing is so critical yeah and it's you know people obviously it's very personal so it's not people aren't going to always share those details yeah Right? Like, oh, well, I made a bad investment two months ago, and so now I took a hit, and but now I've invested in something else, and so give me another three months, and I should be in good place. Mm-hmm. Completely making that up. But they're not going to give you that narrative right. necessarily. And so I think that that's something also that we have to remember is that there's so much going on that you know nothing about mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with you. Right. Or your organization. Have you ever had it where you've actually had that insider information, but the donor doesn't know that you know? No. (laughs) (laughs) But you have. Clearly. Um, I had a board member, and I mean, she just, she worked in the right circles. She moved in them. She knew what was happening. And and so she would be like, okay, John Smith, his company's IPOing in a few months. Talk to him now and get a percentage of that IPO. Or... Matthew over here, they just sold their veil house and he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. Ask him now before he puts an offer on something else. Mm. 
But it would always be like, this is the secret knowledge I shouldn't have going into these donor meetings. Because I can't be like, yeah. so Matthew, sorry about your veil house. <laughs> right. Well, that's, I have had the opposite. So I've had it where they have, in fact, told me whatever was going on. Hey, we have this added expense this year that we weren't anticipating. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to impact our giving this year, yeah. which I'm going to just say to any donors that are listening, um, you by no means have to give out that information. Obviously, that's your personal information. But if you're willing to, it's super helpful. Yeah. And and it just is like, oh, okay, kind of frames where that donor is at. And so you're not, you know, nagging them. I mean, hopefully you're not doing that anyways, but um, – and if this is particularly a donor that's given the same amount every year or has built on like every year they're building on what they gave the year before, it's you're anticipating it. It just helps us know, okay, not this year. Can you imagine like how how much better our lives would be as fundraisers and therefore our organizations would be if we knew like upfront, you know, donor X is going to be giving five grand in June. Donor Y has already committed to this in September. Uh, Donor Z, having a rough year. He's coming back next year. Just wants to get our annual report. Like, if we had that level of transparency with our donors telling us what they intended to do, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I know. It would be so much more helpful, particularly when it comes to, um, like, matches for events every year. Mm -hmm. You know, like, are we going to have that match? Are we not going to have that match? I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're having to make the ask every year, which, okay, every year's different. That's fine. But if you're the donor and you know, like, it's a done deal, it would be great to know that up front. And so the donor that told me that, just so you know, came back later in the year and made a big gift because something changed. Ah, nice. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, sometimes it, I guess my point is, is that even if it's a no right now because of something happening, it might still be a yes within the year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause things are always changing. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is this, um, assumption, stereotype, I don't know, expectation that fundraisers are always just like cool as a cucumber. Like we are so comfortable asking and talking about money all the time. And I want to be clear, like, that is not really true. Like, yeah. No. There, obviously, there, there are gradients and v- variations on how comfortable people are. But at the end of the day, your money, your personal money, is tied to so many life circumstances. And it can get uncomfortable. And yeah. we obviously, we don't want to put our donors in a position where they're having an uncomfortable conversation. So, like, there's always this level of uncertainty going into these meetings about, like, which direction they're going to take. And hopefully you've primed them on the mission enough that, like, that isn't the question piece. Um, but you never know. You really don't know what it's going to sound like, look like, feel like until you're in that room. And I think for me, there's an intuitive part of it where even if I have, even if it's an ask that's not necessarily money, maybe it's an ask from um, a business about whether or not they'll partner with us and maybe make a donation of services or of products or food or whatever, but I have a relationship with them. It's it's that timing part. And sometimes intuitively, I'm just like, I can't do it right now. I feel like I haven't put enough effort into the relationship to make that kind of withdrawal. Yeah. I don't know. I think we... I don't know if I talked about this or not, but I used to work with teenagers and we talked about the emotional bank account. Mm-hmm. I think about this with everything, whether it's with my coworkers or my husband or my kids or whatever, of have I made enough deposits in that emotional bank account to take this kind of withdrawal? Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'm like, nope, it's timing's not right. And the same will go for donors where um, out of the blue, intuitively, I'd be like, now's the time. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, Brittany's uh, woo-woo side coming out, but use your <laughs> intuition, your gut. Oh, that's funny. Um, you know, I've never worked in a, a big, like, advancement office, something where it's fundraising big dollars 24-7. Um, and one of my friends this morning was talking about um, 
somebody in those kind of positions, especially at like a university or a hospital. And she described him as energy at a level that indicates he lives off of caffeine and million dollar asks. (laughs) (laughs) That cracks me up. (laughs) And they're they're totally those people. Like I, as she said that, I totally knew like that person she was describing. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, I feel like if you're if you're following all the steps of the donor cycle and you're you're doing your job well, by the time you get to the solicitation to the ask, they're ready for it. Yeah. They're expecting it. Yeah. And maybe they don't agree to the amount um or the parameters of it. Maybe they say, "Well, actually my heart is more in this space than this space." So mm-hmm. I want to restrict my don't restrict, but I want to restrict my here. Um and I've had that too. I had an ask where I, we had a specific need that I knew was not the part of our mission that the donor really was passionate about. Mm-hmm. They were passionate about this other aspect of the work that we're doing, but that was our specific need. And getting that need filled would allow us to spend more time in this other area that they were passionate about. And so I made that ask and I was really nervous because, and I just even said up front, you know, I recognize that this is not where your heart is, Mm -hmm. but if you know how nonprofits work, like businesses work, if you help us meet this need, it's going to open up more space for us to grow in these other areas that you are. So it is, in fact, supporting what you're passionate about. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, totally. And they went for it. They were like, okay, great. That's awesome. And it all goes back to that, you know, unrestricting of dollars. Yes, I was act- I was asking for something specific. So I was restric- restricting the ask, but um, but trying to show how it really affected the whole. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good point, though. Like, so often we... Um we almost partition off fundraising from programming. But at the same time, what we say publicly in terms of our fundraising and our specific asks is actually a signal to the community, a signal to our donors about what's happening and what's important. Um, yeah, I worked with a client and they were they were actually creating their first fundraising program ever. They'd been fee-for-service for years, a pretty large organization, multi-million dollar organization, but they'd just never done fundraising. And there were, you know, a number of audiences we were looking at. Well, we decided to actually focus in on the work they were doing to increase diversity in their um, their program participants as the direct ask because they wanted to signal to the community that that is what's important. That's where we want to invest time and resources. And so it was really great that our fundraising could be part of what pushed out that messaging for them. Yep, that makes sense. Completely. So do you have any other advice for fundraisers out there? Well, I do want to talk about mail appeals a little bit. I mean, obviously, we've we've shared plenty of stories about print houses of gone horror awry. stories. Yeah. <laughs> but we haven't spent as much time talking about the content, like the actual ask that goes into the letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I mean, we've got a lot of science on, like, the the font and the margins and how much white space and like all of those visual visual aspects of it at the end of the day though we know most donors skim at best the letters yeah they look through the bolded words and whatever that final ask is and so really that's the part that's most important how are you framing the the money that they would potentially give you in terms of their values, their impact on the community, right? Like whatever that language is, is what actually matters. And I feel like so often it's the throwaway. It's like, please give to us. Yes. Very generalized. Yeah. And yet they will pour over the stories and stats that come before it that donors just skim over. (laughs) That's a great point. Well, I mean, it goes back to, that's kind of the crux, right? Is that we like to talk about unrestricting donations. 
so that we have more flexibility within the organization to use it where it's needed most. But donors tend to be attracted to a very tangible thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So make my $25 tangible. And while I am not an advocate for like, this is how we can follow your $25 that pays for this, this, and this exactly – it's how do you give that broader perspective, but at the same time, then give them something that they can actually put their mind around. Does that make sense? Fundraiser's dilemma right there. You got it. Oh, God. Wait for the book, people. <laughs> I don't know. It just sounded, maybe it's because the social dilemma. Uh, fundraiser's dilemma sounds like a great book, book title. <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're spot on there. Like, And I think, again, as organizations are having increased conversations about their their values, especially around, like, equity, I think it's a really important thing to, like, really analyze what that looks like. How much are we catering to donors and what we think donors want versus what our organization actually needs? Do you remember that organization out of Denver that did a whole campaign on raising money for overhead? No. Oh, I know you know it, but I don't want to say their name right now. Um, I'm so intrigued, though. Yeah, and I'm wondering how it uh, did. But basically, well, I mean, I put overhead in quotes. Not really overhead. For salaries. Okay. Okay. But a lot of the salaries were program salaries. And they basically came out and said, look... We're a 24-hour operation. Salaries is the biggest thing on our, you know, in our expense budget. And if we don't get money to pay for salaries, we're not going to have the quality people that we need Mm -hmm. to serve our clients and to be able to, you know. So they did a whole fundraising campaign of saying we're trying to raise, let's say, $500,000 just for salaries. That's amazing. I know. And it was many, many years ago, so I don't actually know how they did. I know. Um, I really want to know now. And it was an organization that was kind of struggling at the time. Mm. Um, And so maybe that was their Hail Mary of just like, fuck it. We are like in the red every year and we need money to pay people. So let's just be honest and say, will you give us money to help us pay our staff? That actually just reminded me of an ask gone awry. And uh, again, I think I have uh, suppressed this memory very intentionally um, because it ended in me getting in an active argument with the donor. Uh Oh, no. (laughs) About what? Well, so we got around to to the solicitation and they're like, yep, we, we love what you do. Get it. We want to support you, but we don't want to go to salaries. And it really actually took me aback because that was our biggest expense. We owned our building outright. Um, our, the rest of our programming didn't have like a lot of tangible goods that were necessary. It, it was staff. And yeah. so, you know, you start off wanting it to, to be this conversation of understanding. So tell me more about what your concerns are with that. Maybe I can, you know, help you understand differently. I start going through our organizational structure, why it's important, why we have like so many people with higher degrees doing certain um, positions. Um, and they were just like, no, we, we won't let it go to salary. And Are I, you serious? And I got upset. <laughs> I would have gotten upset. Oh, God, our job is so hard sometimes. I would have gotten upset. I'm, at one point, I was just like, well, who do you think is doing it? Like, who, who's doing the work? Were you, but were you the ED? I was the development director. <laughs> really? Was your boss there? No, but a board member was. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who can't see me, which is everybody but Brittany, I'm like getting red and uncomfortable <laughs> thinking about it. I know. Well, I mean, I want to hear how it ends, but I just have been in that situation so many times in a donor meeting with an ask, and I'm either with my boss at the time or a board member, and we clearly have different ideas 
I mean, that's the thing, right? That's the thing that we talk about. That's the whole reason we're doing this podcast is because I don't want to be sitting in those meetings just catering to everything the donor is saying. It's fucking wrong. And you're just, you're reaffirming that behavior. And, but when you have somebody with you who's just, yep, sure, of course. Okay, yep, uh uh-huh, we could do that. Sure, you want it to go here? Yeah, okay, whatever. And that's not where the need is. And that's not what the whole ask is about to begin with. It can be really frustrating yeah so what happened so uh this person i think really just wanted the fun debate um but i got really upset and the board member i was with basically just shut down (laughs) like (laughs) the equivalent of like took her salad plate into the corner and just started shoveling food into our mouth because she fully disengaged she's like oh look at the time yeah basically (laughs) and i went into like full debate mode like give me your three points and i'll refute them um oh my god i love you so much <laughs> I, I mean i do not recommend doing no, this with donors no um and then i got to go back and explain to my ed why i didn't get the gift <laughs> no so they didn't give it no i i legitimately got upset by the end that there was no reason for them to give me oh, any money <laughs> no. I know. I mean, there's such a fine line, right, between educating and um, being disrespectful. And you obviously never want to be disrespectful. But this, Um, I mean, again, like going back to restricted giving, when I looked at our budget, the size of gifts they were talking about would have exceeded our non-salaried dollars. So it's like I couldn't even use your money in the way you want me to. Like that's just not even a thing I can do. So why why is that what you would want to happen? Right. So whatever happened with that donor, do you know? Was that was that it? I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I I was a traditional fundraiser. I left after 2 years. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Remember the Smiths? Nia's gone. Let's go talk to them again." <laughs> I hope they did. I mean, somebody with maybe a little bit more patience and a little less conviction could have gotten the gift. Yeah, and so here we are again having the conversation around all of our different fundraising practices, which includes our asks, and how do we keep them in line with our values? The fundraiser's other dilemma. <laughs> that's just, that's book two. It really is. It's super hard. And I think as, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, then you clearly have a bent towards knowing that some of the things that you are seeing happening in the fundraising world, um, maybe in your own world, don't sit well with you. Yeah. And that that something needs to change. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are... um, it's hard because, um, as we talk about a million times, we are so steeped in this scarcity mindset that what do you mean you didn't get that $10,000 gift? You know, how dare you? How could you? Um, but yet, is it really prudent to say yes to a gift that, like you're talking about that you can't use in the way they want you to use it? Yeah. No. No. Okay, quick, funny aside, uh, because I saw that I saw this this morning. So, an estate was selling a house that um, the the funds were going to be like distributed as part of the estate for charitable purposes, and so it was the listing for the house. And there were, I think, this was in the UK. So there was some specific language like the the city had rights to a, a certain part of the property, <laughs> but then. Per donor's intent, the um, donor who had passed on was buried in the garden. <laughs> Wait, what? Yes. Are, is that, can you do that? I, maybe in the UK? I, I don't, I didn't think it was legal, but it was the woman's intent and that's what happened and that they had to disclose it in the listing for the house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean... 
let's just hope that this is like a ginormous estate and the garden's like you know a hundred acres very very far away from the house (laughs) so it doesn't get haunted and that hopefully it brings in a lot of money for charity (laughs) i mean i feel bad enough thinking about my house that has my dog in the backyard and what will i do not my current house but a different house buried (laughs) yeah oh (laughs) i know maybe we'll talk about that another time but that's why i can't get rid (laughs) now i can't get rid of the house (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's amazing but to think about you know how i feel about that and that's a dog to think about like it's the owner that's crazy oh man Oh, fun times. Well, <clears throat> we want to hear from you. We have a million. Like, we could go on and on and on all day about this. Um, this is where the really fun stories uh, and the real, the nitty-gritty stories of fundraising come out. So we want to hear from you. What is an ask that went wrong? What is an ask that you've done that went really well? And why do you think it went so well? Um. We really like the wrong ones, though. I know. Those are the best. <laughs> those are the best. Cool. You got a million dollars, but tell me when you really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We already know you're a rock star. Yeah. We just want to know the times when eh, maybe not as rock star. It makes me feel better about sending trash bags to people. <laughs> <laughs> and getting into a fight with the donor and losing the gift. <laughs> Over a really good eggs benedict too. I didn't even finish. That's the real bummer oh, in it all. Gosh, who knew you brought your soapbox with you that day? You just you just jumped right on top of that. Most days, that's the problem. Yeah, I know. Back pocket size. You just pull it out. Um, great. So, how can they? Where can they send us these stories? You can email us nonprofitreframe at gmail Please, please do love hearing those stories. Sometimes we get to share them on the pod. So. Send them our way. You might get featured. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, There's a really great video that got posted this morning that you should watch of Brittany. And I'm mostly saying that because I don't think she's seen it yet. So follow us at Nonprofit Reframe. (laughs) Oh, shit. And please don't forget, you can be a fundraiser and a donor. You can still be a donor, too. So check out those asks from your local nonprofits. Uh, but be kind. Don't need to email them right away and tell them how they got it wrong. Support them by giving them a gift if you have capacity at this time. They need you by giving and giving generously. Thanks, everybody. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.